0: Our uh, scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 1. It's uh, probably a familiar text to most of us. 1 uh, John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is a message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while walking in darkness... from all unrighteousness. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. We are in the middle of John chapter 13, and we're in the middle of one story in the book of John, which we stopped in the middle of. (laughs) So uh, let me just catch us up where we were. We've noticed that John chapter 13 the beginning of John chapter 13 is a giant transition. Jesus' public ministry in the temple in Jerusalem is over. And he is now at the last supper with his disciples. That Passover meal, it's Thursday night. And we want to remember the whole I just want everyone to keep in mind how quickly things are happening now. The book of John slows down and looks at details now. But what has happened, what is happening is all in one night. From here all the way to chapter 17. One meal. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. And it's only been a few days since everyone was shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to Jesus Christ. And tomorrow, they will be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. It's a very rapid change. And So Jesus secludes himself with his disciples and they're sitting around the table and he gets up to step down. This is what we talked about last time. He gets up. He takes off his jacket. He wraps a towel around his waist he kneels on the floor before each one of his disciples and washes their feet. This is the
1: lowliest task. And he comes to Peter. And Peter says, no. It's what they all should have said.
0: I can imagine Peter getting more and more upset as Jesus moves down the line. I don't know how many disciples he washed the feet of before he got to Peter, but at least one. When he gets to Peter, Peter says, No, no,
1: that is not right. You are not washing my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't, you're out. You have no part with me.
0: If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And that's where we pick up the story today. Last time we noticed, if Jesus does not become your servant, my servant. We have no fellowship with him either. That is upside down. Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But if the Lord is not your servant, you have no part with him. You see the way Jesus lords is something completely upside down from the normal way of lording. So he comes to Peter and Peter says, "No. Out of this is up this is wrong." And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash you, then you have no share with me. And Peter says, well, then wash my hands and my head too. Peter says, I will have a part with you, whatever it takes. Now we know how this is going to work out a little later in the evening. But for now, Peter says,
1: well, then I am all in. That's the kind of guy
0: Peter was, I think. He was an all in kind of guy. Whatever he was in, he was all in. Jesus says to him, well, you're already clean. Well, I'll just read it here. the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Is he saying to the disciples, someone here did not shower this morning? Is that the point? I don't think so. You are clean, but not every one of you are, are clean is clean. And he says, <clears throat> John says, explaining this remark, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Apparently, we should draw a conclusion from this, that the washing of feet is not just the washing of feet. It's an emblem for something else. This idea of cleansing. There's more to the washing of feet than just the fact that Jesus humbled himself to be the servant of all. There's something more about it. It's it's a symbol of something else. I wonder what that is. Well, we're going to get to that in a moment. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place,
1: he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? I don't think so. Do you understand what I've
0: done to you? Do you? Understand what he has done to them? What is it? What is this foot washing thing meant to represent? And what does he mean when he says you're clean, but you're
1: not all clean? What is this clean that he's speaking of?
0: Do you understand? He says, you call me teacher and Lord. They do not call him servant or slave, which is the thing he's just done. They call him teacher and Lord. And you are right, he says, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet."
1: The teacher and the Lord is washing feet.
0: This is noteworthy. This is significant. This is really out of order and unusual we can't really fathom because we don't live in that particular culture the how out of order it was for the rabbi at the passover feast to stand up and begin washing
1: everyone's feet utterly out of order but that's what
0: jesus is doing he says it's an example I'm the Lord and teacher. I did this. This indicates that you should also do this. Wash one another's feet. What on earth is it about
1: washing feet?
0: When he says you should also do this, wash one another's feet, does he mean that they should actually literally wash each other's feet when they get together? Some people have actually taken it that way. In fact, there's a group of Christians who uh, have instituted the washing of feet as a sacrament of the church, like baptism or the Lord's Supper. Is that his intention? Well, if it is, we should pay attention, but we should figure out exactly what he's talking about. It's an example. You should do for each other what I have done for you. So, this morning, I want to give a lesson how to wash feet. Keep your shoes on. I want to talk about what Jesus is talking about when he says to wash one another's feet. The first thing is on the everyday, ordinary, physical, material world level of understanding, which is simple, humble service. This is most of what we were talking about last time. Jesus serves... People disregarding his own position. In fact, if we read Philippians chapter 2, Jesus' mere presence on earth is a grand example of this. He disregarded his position, eternal son of the living God, second person of the triune God. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be clung to but let go of it to be born one of us and then as one of us he humbled himself to serve all of us and so this is in a certain sense when he says wash one another's feet he literally means serve each other be servants to each other on a simple everyday level Someone needs a ride. You give them a ride. Someone needs this. You share this. You serve here in the church. There's all kinds of opportunities to serve. Lots of people serving this morning. We uh, we do not regard our position. We let go of our position, and we're not bothered by humility. We admire humility. We seek humility where you look for opportunities to place ourselves below others let each of you esteem others more highly than yourselves that's right there in philippians chapter 2 before he says says it like this have this same attitude in yourselves which we find in christ jesus Oh, this is, I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You should follow this example. And Paul says the same exact thing in Philippians chapter 2, and he says, consider other people above yourself. Follow the example of Christ who gave up position in order to humble himself, in order to serve others. Regular, everyday life, serve. this does involve humbling
1: oneself. Is anyone good at that? I confess I am not good at that.
0: Most of the places where I show up, I show up to be served, not to serve. what can you do for me, is the question I have most of the time. Jesus is telling us to ask the reverse question, what can I do for you? That's hard work. I don't think you're going to do it without the encouraging influence of the very Holy Spirit of God in you, the same influence that brought Jesus to perfect submission to the Father and consequently submission to his fellow man. That's the first thing on an ordinary day-to-day level, simple, humble service. But there's a more important thing, and it's what Jesus was talking about when he said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And he wasn't just talking about physically washing their feet Because he goes on to say, or John goes on to say, well, Jesus says, you're clean, but not everyone here is clean. What's he talking about, clean? Well, this isn't the only thing John wrote, so we can go look at some other things John wrote. One is in the 15th chapter of this very thing, so we're going to skip ahead a little bit to John chapter 15 and verse 3. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Or that's actually the very same word that Jesus used when he said, you are clean. He cleans that it may bear more fruit. Oh, that's interesting. So, okay. Cleansing is not just... A person coming into fellowship with Christ. It's also something like the maintenance of that fellowship to be more fruitful. He says, Already you are clean. Now, this is the same evening, okay, two chapters later, same speech. He says, Already you are clean. How? because of the word that I have spoken to you. Keep that in your head. They're clean because of the word spoken in Christ. Don't forget, in John, Jesus also personifies the word. He is the word of God incarnate. So he says, you're clean because of the word. Now, Also, that scripture we read in 1 John chapter 1 said something about cleansing, right? Yes, it did, in case you weren't listening. 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from sin. Same word. Used by the same writer. That's important. The blood of Jesus his son cleanses us So when Jesus says, you're clean, you just need to wash your feet, but not everyone's clean. Clean is an expression for redemption, acceptability before God. Clean, as in clean and unclean in the Old Testament. Who could come into the temple? Clean. Clean not unclean. Jesus says, or John goes on, he says, if we walk in the light, we, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. from all unrighteousness." So we have a few things going on here. There's a ministry of the Word. They're clean because of the Word He spoke to them. There's a fellowship in the truth if we walk in the light. Oh, so that's kind of the same. The fellowship in the truth, the, the true Word of God has a cleansing power. But that power is only grounded in the blood of Jesus, His Son. Apart from that, no cleansing. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son cleanses us from all sin. Now, I think this is referring to a person's redemption, a person's conversion, if you will, a person coming to Christ. And so when Jesus says to the disciples, all of you are clean except there's one who isn't, he's talking about all of you are redeemed people. All of you are the blood of Christ has been applied to you. Even in advance, which we would say, by the way, of all the Old Testament saints, the only way anyone is ever redeemed from their lost condition is by the sacrifice of Christ. No matter where in history that person happened to live, the only atonement for sin is in Christ in his sacrifice. So there's that. The ministry of the word, walking in the light, John calls it. Then he goes on. We go past where we read earlier. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, (laughs) so I'm telling you this to help you with sin not sin so much. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the satisfaction. So, Jesus, when he's washing feet says, if I don't wash you, you're not in the fellowship. The thing that maintains us in God's grace is the satisfaction of the cross of Christ, the advocacy of Christ. I'm quite sure I have sinned this morning. I'm afraid I can even think of a few specific examples. What keeps me from falling apart from God's grace
1: when I sin this morning? How do I stay
0: if I keep sinning? this is the scriptural answer to this question, you have an advocate who provides the satisfaction. Does he provide the satisfaction for the fact that I sinned today? Does he provide that satisfaction by saying, yeah, but most of the time he's a pretty good guy, which wouldn't even be true, but he doesn't do it that way. How does he provide how does he advocate for me? He doesn't advocate by my merits. That would be a losing argument. How does he advocate for sinners? People who are in the body, who, are, who have come to Christ, who have been converted, who keep on sinning. What does Jesus do for them? He is their advocate before the Father. And he himself is the satisfaction." The blood of his cross is what he argues. He doesn't say, yeah, but you know, he's okay, really, go ahead, let him off, it's no big deal. No, Jesus never thinks sin is no big deal. Even the tiniest sin is the greatest deal. Even the tiniest sin is what put him on the cross. He never says
1: sin in the slightest is just forgettable. What he says is, I died for that one too.
0: And so when we talk about the foot-washing, cleansing. We're talking about that. Jesus serves me at all times. And the Christian life is only stopping and resting in that reality. I, he, doesn't, he didn't rise from the dead and be exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high in order to quit servanthood. He has not quit servanthood. He is the one standing between me and the wrath of God every minute of every day from here to eternity by pleading the case of his own cross. His righteousness imputed to me. That means I get credit for it even though I did not do it.
1: His ministry sustains
0: me. His servanthood sustains me. His sending of His Spirit serves me. And if I am not served in this way, I have no part with Him. That is my part with Him. So how do we wash one another's feet? I, don't, I can't die for anyone's sins. Well, it's like this. This is about helping each other with a servant's heart, helping each other to walk in God's grace. Encouraging one another to rest in the servanthood of Jesus. What I say to you is rest in the service of Jesus. It is about what he has done, not about what you might do. In fact, the only real power you ever have to do right, to follow Christ in moral his moral example, the only way you can ever approach that is by first resting in his serving you. If he doesn't serve you, you can never serve
1: him. It will not be possible. You will always fail. And since
0: he does serve you, you can fail all you need to fail, and he is there advocating for you before the Father. I've died for that one too. He provides the satisfaction. He doesn't rely on your righteousness to make your case before the Father. So how do I wash your feet? I preach this sermon to tell you, Look, rest in the finished work of Christ. That reality when you stop yourself and all your striving and stress and you stop and you come away from the world and you sit down in the lap of your loving Abba Father because of the sacrifice of Christ and rest, this cleanses you. You will find when you are reminded of the facts, of the reality of your salvation in Christ,
1: it will become way harder for you to sin. Rest in the finished work of
0: Christ. And Encourage each other. Here's the thing all Christians need, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the time, you need it. You should preach it to yourself. You should preach it to everyone around you. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again and is seated at the right hand advocating for us, satisfying God for us. The second thing I would say this is about is it's about the ministry of the word of Jesus to one another or walking in the light. It's the... It's telling each other the truth. Preaching the gospel to each other. Remember Jesus. If I'm struggling in life, if I have a conflict or a, or a difficulty, the very most basic thing I need is to remember Jesus. Because you can kill me and I'll be fine. This gives me the peace that passes understanding the stupid peace that only Christians have because they know their Savior. And we minister this word to each other. And not just me, you and you to each other. And then the third thing I want to say about how do you wash feet or what's... What's, how do we do this spiritual washing, this second level? Well, it's in that expression if we confess our sins. This is about r- encouraging real agreement with the Word of God about our sin. Oh, my goodness. We are not good confessors of sin. I've never met a single good confessor of sin. But here's something I can tell you. (laughs) The people who are the best at overcoming sin are the people who are most actively confessing sin. I'm going to say that again. The people who are the best at overcoming sin are the people who are most active in confessing sin. They're like David in the psalm when he says, Search me, O God. Try my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. I want to know. Oh my goodness, most of us are not that. We really don't want to know how bad we are. But this is the thing, confess, that word, homo logeo, say the same, agree. Well, who are we agreeing with? God himself. God has declared sin to be sin, and he has declared the horrible consequence. And the, well, death, judgment, judgment. God, the Lord Jesus, understands because of the cross the depth of sin, the destruction of sin, even the tiniest one that you think is no big deal. Jesus knows exactly how big of a deal it is And what John is saying here in First John is if we work to agree with the Word of God, what God says
1: about the horribleness of sin, this cleanses us.
0: He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. It's satisfied in Christ. So, if I want to think, how do I wash someone's feet in the, at this sort of emblematic level of spiritual washing? It's three things. Help somebody to walk in God's grace. Encourage somebody to, To rest in the servanthood of Jesus. The second thing is the ministry of the word. Help somebody to walk in the light. Nobody here knows the word of God well enough. Help somebody know the word of God. And encourage real agreement with the word of God about our sin and the need to resort to Christ to find the satisfaction you know if my confessing my confession of sin is n- of no use if it doesn't get me kneeling at the cross my confession of sin is to point to Christ, to say, you know, I need Christ just as bad today as I did 55 years ago when I first trusted Christ. So, help somebody walk in God's grace. Encourage them to rest in the servanthood of Christ. Help somebody with the ministry of the word Help them to walk in the light. That's about fellowship with Christ. Help them to be honest about sin, about their need for Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, wash one another's feet. One of the most powerful ways I can be encouraging in these sort of higher level spiritual emblematic expressions of foot washing is to start with the simple act of love, concrete service in the material world. Exhibiting in very tangible ways what Christ
1: has done for me. There's some discussion questions.
0: I just want to point you to because they're kind of practical. Do you understand the word of God well enough to help others rest in Christ? Christ? Do you understand the Word of God well enough to help someone else rest in Christ?
1: That's my question. The answer is yes,
0: you do. (laughs) If you have rested in Christ, then you understand the Word of God well enough to help someone else rest in Christ. Oh, but the answer is also no. Because you do not understand the Word of God well enough to help, in some situations, someone rest in Christ. I just want to point out these two things to you. (laughs) Both of these things are true. You can speak the Word of the Gospel to someone if you have understood it yourself. Even at the most simple level, And you do not understand it well enough yet. There's more to it than you know. Have a Bible? Do you have a Bible? Just checking. If you think you don't understand the Word of Christ well enough to explain it or to help someone with it, Uh, Do you have a plan to do something about that? I just want to remind everyone that back there on the back table, we have a little pamphlet that has a read the whole Bible in a year plan in it, just in case you think that might help. Here's Here's a harder question. What are some of the ways we lie to ourselves and each other about sin? You know, the person you are lying to the most about your sin, you know who that is? You. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. (laughs) If we ask the question, what is the most deceitful thing? The answer is your heart. Who can know it? Well, do you know who knows it? You know who knows it? You do. We are very clever about lying to ourselves and then believing what we say. I'd like you to spend some time thinking about how do you do that? Where have you done that? Maybe someone you know can help you with this. Think about it. And that will help you begin to undo it and to be honest and to confess Now, confessing, we don't just confess because confessing's good and we earn God's forgiveness by confessing. No. We confess because when we realize the badness of sin, we give it up. And we have the help of the Spirit of God in the process. Here's a harder question In the fellowship of the church, do we encourage honesty about sin? I'm gonna guess something about you and that is this the one place you are least likely to acknowledge any sin
1: is here at the office, at work
0: People uh, you know you're around all the other sinners, so they don't
1: they don't mind, even in your family. I don't think the
0: church is very good at encouraging people to be honest about sin.
1: I just want to pose that to you. How could we do better? How could we do better?
0: I think there's one answer that's at the heart of all the answers, how we could do better, and that is show grace. Now, that's too simple. That's the, the big answer that doesn't actually say much, but that's at the heart of everything. Whatever you might do that will encourage someone else to be honest about their own need of Jesus is a good thing to do. And the reason we are the least honest at church is because that is where we have the most to lose. And that shows you something about how well we all appreciate grace. This is a convicting thing to me. So I'm asking us all, can we think, at least today, about how can I show the grace that would give you the freedom to be truthful about whatever your mess is? Another thing that comes to mind about that is I can share my mess. I can trust you with my junk and that will help us trust each other and extend grace. We really need it. We really need it. It's hard to do. And I'm not asking everyone to stand up in this fellow in this room and, you know, share all your deepest sin problems, but in the fellowship of the church, we should encourage one another to be honest in every respect and especially this i sh- we should have b- some bragging sessions about how much forgiveness i have gotten you think you think you've gotten some forgiveness ha huh. not like me this is what paul does right Right in the Bible, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. You think you're a sinner? (sighs) Amateurs. You're amateur sinners compared to me, he says. Hmm. We should hear that from each other from time to time. i got to stop talking. It's way too long. Uh, Think about these things. Mostly. Mostly. I do not want you to go out of here feeling bad because you're such a horrible person because you're not any more horrible than the rest of us. I want you to feel good because you have rest in Christ. You belong to Him You are secure in his hand. It is not up to you to hang on to him. He's hanging on to you. If you sin, you have an advocate, and he doesn't have to depend on your goodness to have something to say to God on your behalf. He pleads his own cross for you every day, every minute. I mean, if you just turn sideways a little bit, Jesus I have that covered. That's covered. I think Jesus says, "Just is there all day long before the Father goes, yeah, that one too, that one too, that one too, that one too. You're good in Christ, and that is where you get the liberty to experience all of these things that we're talking about today. Father, thank you for your love for us that is so clearly exhibited in the Lord Jesus, Lord, we we need you. We need your help. Please fill us with the Spirit. Teach us to follow the example of Christ. Help us to be an encouragement to each other to find that rest, to operate from that assurance, to find the power we need deal with ourselves, to be truthful. Lord, help us to shine this around to everyone around us as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.